Oh, hey, girl. It's Tess Rouse and Christina Beattie. We're the co-hosts and creators of Authentically Wild. A podcast that may literally transform your understanding about life, relationships, and your healing journey. So get ready, girl. Shit's about to get wild. Today, we're going to be talking about patterns. Have you ever noticed yourself repeating patterns in your life? Do you have a hard time breaking the cycle of toxic relationships? Dating the same people? Experiencing the same emotions? Perhaps even acting like your mom or dad? These are just some of the ways we repeat patterns in our lives. And when you can get to the root of why you repeat these patterns, there's so much freedom to be experienced. Listen in as Tess and I dig deep into our own patterns, what we've learned through the process, and how you can begin to work through your own. Hello. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> it's a beautiful day to talk about toxic patterns. It is, but I am reminiscing on our last episode of being in person together. I know. I know. <laughs> it was so nice, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So patterns, Woo. we have been, I mean, you and I have been really talking about this a lot for a while. We have, and I think witnessing it also in other people for a long, long time, probably. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's so interesting because I mean, a few years ago, I wouldn't even known, I wouldn't have known what someone meant when they said, what's your patterns or, or can you see how your patterns are keeping you stuck or all that stuff. And then it was like digging into all my own stuff and, and really starting to take my healing seriously. I began to see that patterns were pretty much the roadmap of how I got to where I was you know, Mm -hmm. patterns with seeing things with my parents and just relationships and patterns in my mothering. And wow, it just became so freaking crystal clear. (laughs) Doesn't it ever, but then you're also kind of like, okay, I wish I could go back where I could unsee that. Uh, Yeah. Cause ignorance, what is it? Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Right. Sometimes I look at, I don't know if you do this too, but sometimes I look at other people who maybe are not so steeped in the healing journey. And that looks a lot easier. (laughs) Oh yeah. The envy, right? When like, you're just unaware of it. I know. I know. I mean, like when we talk about patterns, I think it's known for all of humankind that we seek comfort in the familiar, right? Mm. It provides security, safety, all of that. This could be as simple as when you go to a restaurant, if it's a restaurant you've been to before, you're like, I love that meal. I always order that meal mm. or everyone has a favorite movie or a couple of favorite movies that they probably over their life watch 30 times. It creates comfort, right? Mm-hmm. And so repeating patterns, even if they're a bit toxic, even if they create a bit of an uncomfortable emotion, there is some sort of reward in that, right? Because it's this familiar space that we know where the walls are, what the box is that we're working within. So I think it's very innate for humans to want to repeat patterns. It's just, I think whether or not you have the awareness that you're actually doing it. Yes. Yeah. Because the awareness is the biggest piece. Once you can see what you're doing and why you're doing it, then you can create the change if you want to, but you have to be able to see it, Mm -hmm. you know? And when I hear you say the familiarity piece, it's like right away, I think of safety because it's in the familiarity it's in, you know, the patterns, even if they're uncomfortable, 
that we find the certainty and the certainty is the safety and the safety allows us to breathe, to relax a bit, even again, if it's uncomfortable for our listeners today, we're going to really dig into our own patterns. What we've really started to learn about (laughs) through this messy process, cringe, (laughs) cringe, big time (laughs) cringe, right? And then, uh, Tess, as you were looking into this a little bit, it was really interesting how you were able to kind of see more of a scientific side to it, but also how we can pair it with the spiritual aspect of it and how that kind of mixes together and talk a little bit around patterns in that sense. And then for any of you who are really wanting to create that change, we'll, we'll end the episode with just some things you can do for yourself in terms of starting to work through your own patterns, if you want to. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can quickly even ask listeners before we dive into it to create a new, maybe healthy pattern. Yes. <laughs> Yes. For us, <laughs> for us, we've been receiving a lot of really good feedback about the podcast and, and how it's really resonating, especially with women and really helping them navigate different experiences and, and things that maybe they've been dealing with for a long time, or is just cropping up in their life. And we want to continue doing this podcast and we want to ensure that more and more people who need to hear it uh, are, and, and they're being exposed to it. And unfortunately in the techie world, there's these things called algorithms on Mm. Apple podcasts, Spotify, all the social platforms and how it works for podcasts is we really need each of you. Maybe you can pause the episode right now and go to whatever listening platform you're listening to and write us a quick review. Like literally you don't have to sign up for anything. It's just at the bottom of the episode, literally write, I love it. Or keep talking about X, Y, Z, whatever it is, it just helps to increase it in the chart so that as people search under different topics that we're talking about, our podcast um, comes up in their search so that hopefully they can to sort of subscribe onto it and listen for hopefully what we think are some great insights that you guys all seem to be talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really, really amazing just chatting with some of you that are listening to the episodes and hearing how much you're resonating with what we're talking about um, and just really connecting to Tess and I, because really that is why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. We are doing this to share our experience, to create deeper connection, you know, just, just really help anyone who wants to also expand on your own healing journey, the way we've been able to over the past few years. So We just really appreciate all of the support and all of you that are listening. And we're just so grateful that we get to keep doing this back to patterns. (laughs) Yes. So do you want to kick us off and talk about sort Mm. of, obviously we know the first step to changing or or healing, maybe a toxic pattern is becoming aware of it. What Mm -hmm. are some areas in your life where you've become aware as of late or in the beginning of your healing to some of the patterns that you've been exuding? Yeah. So the one, the first one I want to start with, this has been a huge pattern for me, especially in terms of motherhood, but I can also see that it's been a pattern throughout my life. Um, you know, one big emotion, and I talked about this at the beginning of the episode was, do you experience the same emotion? So this is an interesting one because we will often gear more towards specific emotions within us. There is this saying out there of, addictive emotions. And, you know, this can be a cool kind of practice is to even just take inventory of what are some of the really common emotions that you feel, because we all sometimes gear towards different ones. For me, one of the most um, repetitive emotions that I felt throughout my life is anger. Mm -hmm. 
Hmm. And, you know, growing up as a little kid, as a teenager, especially, I felt a lot of anger and I can definitely attribute that to my parents' divorce and just, you know, how that, it, it was just a really tough time. And I don't think that I necessarily got the proper type of support through that process. And I felt a lot of anger and this would come out in my behavior. And then as I got a little bit older and into the early stages of motherhood, when I was starting to feel a lot more out of control in the situation, right? And so I noticed my anger, that's, that's a pattern is that I noticed my anger comes up when I feel out of control. This is what happens. This is one of my patterns. As I became a new mom and I was in this scary sort of phase in my life where I didn't have a lot of control and I definitely didn't have a lot of sleep, another piece, (laughs) my anger would come out. And, you know, more snappy, more reactive, very dysregulated. And I've talked about this a little bit in terms of the early stages of motherhood. It was not an easy time for me. And, you know, I don't think we talk about this enough. What women go through in those early stage, in those early days, in those early months, mm-hmm. for me, it was a good couple of years. where it was like, I was so freaking dysregulated and there was no manual out there of like, here's what you need to do for your mental health. There was like, remember that book of like, what's that book? Everybody what to expect. Oh gosh. Like, (laughs) no, that did not help me. (laughs) You know what would have helped is like an, is like a book on like, here's what's going to happen to your mental health after you have a child. Yeah. Well, I think the focus (laughs) is on growing a baby, what pregnancy is going to be like, and then birthing that baby. And then the unexpected surprises are supposed to stop there. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually when it like my pregnant and and I know some people have a really hard time with pregnancy. And so I'm not sitting here like trying to gloat or anything. My pregnancy was very smooth. It was the after it was after I had max, when I felt totally out of control, I didn't know what to do. There wasn't a whole lot out there in terms of like, here's how to support yourself. Your system is probably completely dysregulated. Mm -hmm. And so my anger came out Hmm. and what I can see now, because I've really sat with this a lot is I, as I have this pattern of, I get dysregulated, I get angry, and then I feel immense guilt. Hmm. Like full body shame, guilt. And I, you know, you and I, and you and I have talked about this. I actually didn't realize this until a few months ago. Like this was a big realization for me is seeing this. I mean, I know that I, it, it, I know I felt the anger. I know I felt the guilt, but I didn't put the two together that it was part of a pattern until a mm-hmm. few months ago. And it's been so interesting digging into what purpose does the guilt serve? Because that's another thing we'll talk about later on is like, there's always a purpose to our patterns. They serve a purpose. And so I started to dig in what purpose did the guilt serve after feeling the anger? And I could start to see that if I, if I felt enough of the guilt, maybe I could tell myself that I would never get angry again, or I would never do that again, whatever that was. And it was a way of control. And that's mm-hmm. another thing I'm going to get into is that I've noticed with my patterns is that they're a way to feel in control, but it's been so interesting. Yeah. You bring up a really good point there about 
I hear this all the time. We have this little chat with ourselves. Okay. I am never going to drink again. Maybe Mm. someone has a super bad hangover or they say things they didn't mean, or like you, I'm never going to get angry again. I've learned my lesson. I'm just going to take a deep breath next time. And Ah. so we, we like to tell ourselves all the things we're going to do when we become dysregulated. But the truth of the matter scientifically is when you become dysregulated, like we bypass a part of our brain that goes into that logical thinking, like you just explained there. And we go into like our innate habitual pattern type responses, right? So -hmm. until we've really healed or reprogrammed those, you actually don't stand a chance in hell. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And the other piece that connects to what you just said there for me is it's actually accepting that the anger is always going to be there. Number one, right? Number one, it's like acceptance that, okay, anger is actually an emotion that all of us feel and looking at the meaning I place on it. It's really important. But like you said, it's getting to the root of like, okay, how do I actually support myself through the dysregulation, not the prevention of the, like, like, I might get angry and that's part of this, but it's like, how do I actually support myself in the steps before that? How do I help myself not feel as dysregulated? And when I do get angry, how am I going to support myself there rather than steep myself in this, in this big, huge pot of guilt? Exactly. You know, and I think another pattern speaking about anger is, you know, yelling at kids, which Mm. I am guilty of this morning, getting them all out the door. Like, let's get to school. And I know I hear this all the time from other moms, you know, you just, you think you're cool, calm and collected. I'm just going to breathe. I'm going (laughs) to, you know, (laughs) I'm going to repeat one more time. And then I'm just going to calmly walk over. But then all of a sudden, it's just like the switch is flicked and you see red and it's anger and you're yelling, but you also feel relief in that moment. Right. Mm. I feel like there's all the moms are like, Oh yeah. It feels really good <laughs> in that split second. But then just like you said, that shame and guilt just sort of washes over us. And I think you're right. It's that the anger may still be there. And I think there's digging and healing to do as to why and reprogramming. How can I prepare myself so that I don't become as dysregulated? But I think another piece too, is breaking the pattern that maybe we were raised with, which is our parents would yell at us and maybe they'd feel the guilt and shame, but they'd continue on with their day. Mm -hmm. They didn't come back and say, Hey, you know what? Mommy was really stressed and it hurts my feelings when you talk to me like that, but I'm really sorry. I should not have yelled Mm -hmm. at you. Whereas I think our generations are ones that, okay, maybe we're still experiencing the anger and maybe we are becoming dysregulated and we do have moments where we snap. But I think that's also a pattern that you need to be aware of that your children are watching is, ah, they're not perfect. They have slips too. They get angry. They get sad, but they also come back and they admit that they take accountability, responsibility for it. Right. And so I know knowing you as a friend and watching how you parent, that's something that you, you do do that. I bet you, your parents never did. Yeah. It's, and it's so interesting because you, you know, you and I have talked a little bit about this, but I'm really moving through a new layer in in some pieces that I've uncovered within myself this past week. And again, this is why I love the work so much, because when I sat with this today, I was like, oh, right. Of course, I've been dysregulated this week. I'm uncovering some like really deeper pieces within myself. And my nervous system is probably reacting to some of this, right? It's like that open wound, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, 
I've been yelling more this past week, more than obviously I'd like to admit, but I mean, we're being honest, right? Like, I think it's so important to be honest about these things. And I had a chat with Max last night about it, at both the kids actually, but especially Max, cause he's a bit older and he can kind of, you know, we're creating, we're starting to really create meaning in some of these conversations. And I was like, you know what? We had a tough night tonight and that's okay. And I want you to know that your actions didn't make mommy do anything. Mommy felt angry because mommy has her own stuff she's moving through right now, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, yeah, like, it's so important. We're going to, we're going to make these mistakes. Well, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that word. We're going to do these things. And I think it's not actually the focus on what the thing was, but rather how we respond to it after. And it's those conversations, like you said, with the kids that make such a difference that, I mean, I didn't get those conversations growing up and it probably would have maybe created different meaning for me of, of the world and of relationships and of our emotions and all of that good stuff. Yeah. And I think that piece that you mentioned about taking ownership and not blaming them for the way you reacted is so key. Anyone who knows anything about child psychology will understand that children internalize everything. They believe they are the cause of all things that they experience. So if mommy's yelling at me, it must mean it's, and that's just cognitive development, right? Like it hasn't matured enough to understand that things that happen maybe to them or outside of them are not because of them. And so I think you being able to say that, you know, mommy is just going through an emotional time tonight. And that's why I did that. Or mommy's tired and mommy's very hungry. And I snapped at you and I'm sorry. And I shouldn't have done that. It kind of allows them to not internalize, which is also so key to, and into breaking that sort of generational pattern that we can so easily pass on to them. When then the other piece I hear you say, there's the codependency, right? Because we teach Mm -hmm. them to stay in their own energy, to stay in their own lane. Exactly. Well, that, that's a really good segue actually for me. Yes. Oh yeah, girl. (laughs) Let's dig in some more here. Oh my, my, my. So for me, one of the patterns that I wanted to talk about today was repeating relationship dynamics, like recreating relationship dynamics, uh, in, in my adult life, um, based on relationship dynamics I had as a child. So it's believed that early relationships act as a template onto which future relationships are formed. It -hmm. shows us how certain people in certain relationships are meant to act. Right. And again, that's from birth up until like 14 years old. And so in thinking about this and anyone who's listened to the past podcast would know I, for a long time, had a really unhealed wound with my mom. I craved connection with her and it was really met with like abuse, gaslighting, abandonment, et cetera. And so in almost every season of my life, I would say until really this year, I was in a relationship that emulated this pattern where I was subconsciously attracting those relationships into my life uh, and, or I was inviting the way people were treating me by creating, you know, maybe an environment that lacked boundaries or um, a lack of belief in my own self-worth. So I was like a caregiver. I, to feel love and secure, I needed to meet other people's needs. I needed to carry their emotional experience, just like I did with her, right? I emulated Mm -hmm. that same pattern, that same dynamic and relationship with other people, not everyone, but especially close relationships, whether that's friendships or intimate partnerships. What ended up happening for me throughout my 30 years is, you know, I would brood resentment 
because my cup wasn't being filled, but typically like I would feel love. I'd feel security because that other person needed me. And Mm. I didn't realize until really going on my healing journey is that I don't need to carry everyone in order for them to love me, want me, all of those things. And so what I found is that, you know, it's not that people wouldn't try to care for me or support me, but I wasn't accessible because I was never taught how to be open and how to receive love and support from other people. So I'd very much create a boundary and a wall for them. Uh, And, you know, those relationships, a lot of them either ended because I felt used by them. Like, again, that resentment where I wasn't allowing my own cup to be filled. And we know relationships are a two-way street. Uh, Or they ended in betrayal and abandonment, similar to to the relationship with my mom. Like, over and over and over again. And it literally wasn't until this year that I began to really look at some of these relationships. Why did they end like that? Why were they so familiar, but not familiar, right? Mm. It wasn't like I created a new mom every time, but the same dynamics I could see in a lot of these really close connected relationships. And that's really what it was. The other day, my husband and I were on a long drive from back from seeing you guys. Yeah. And we were chatting and he looked at me and said, you know, you used to always get emotional if I was getting emotional. Like if I was crying, telling you something that was bothering me, you know, you would cry. He's like, and I've noticed that you don't do that anymore. Like, are mm. you not like connecting to me? And I was like, oh, interesting. Cause when he said it, I realized you're right. I haven't been getting emotional. And it's because I've really been healing this wound, this pattern I've been seeing in my life, realizing that I don't need to carry everyone's emotional experience for them Mm. to love me. I don't need to do things for people. I just need to be there and support them and listen, right? Mm. That's what friendship and relationship is. It was just really, really interesting. Like, I just remember looking at him and saying like, I love you. I'm here for you, but I am no longer taking on everyone else's circumstances, experience, and emotions. It was really interesting because for so long in those relationship dynamics and patterns, I just remember feeling like I carried the world on my shoulders because I was not only processing all of my own emotions and experiences, but everyone else's for them. Because I felt like that was the exchange. That's what I had to do in order to keep that relationship flourishing. And my question for you would be, you know, you, you just mentioned this piece around, like you would process everybody else's stuff. And also your own, do you think you were actually processing your own? Oh, probably not. Like, Mm -hmm. I think in a way, you know, when you're upset and crying, it's like, you're dealing with yourself and very quickly though, bottling or pushing that down. Right. So that you could again, continue caring for other people. So there was a lot of healing that had to be done and, and still is for sure. And I feel like your experience probably resonates for a lot of people. So my other question would be, is this a conscious decision that you now make of like, I'm not going to carry this for you? Or do you just find that it's become more ingrained in your daily practice because you've just started to dig into all of your own stuff? Definitely the latter. Um, But I do find there is still, again, patterns can become habitual, right? When someone needs something, when someone is emotionally distressed, I find myself sometimes putting myself in their shoes. Like you and I experienced this one time we were parenting together and you were beginning to feel frantic. And, and all of a sudden I was right there with you in anxiety. And I was like, whoa, whoa. And I had to 
like, I think I verbally said it because I could with you. I was like, I just for a moment became you like <laughs> in, in 30 seconds flat. So I think also in, in doing a lot of the healing, I'm able to regulate myself more automatically now. Oh, I love that. Whereas before, like maybe it was like the staircase method where hours later I would have realized, oh, wow, I really just absorbed all that person's feelings and emotions. Um, whereas now I can actually catch myself doing it. So I don't have to bear the weight of it. Not yeah. that like, I'm not there for you, like in that instance for you. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. What I mean, yeah, no, I remember because you had a window into my anxiety in that moment and you were like, <laughs> Whoa, what was that? <laughs> I was like, Oh, welcome to my life, girlfriend. <laughs> it's crazy. <It> funny. <laughs> yes. This is why I sway people because like, I just like, constantly... I was swaying. I was mirroring your swaying. That's how that <laughs> this pattern was deeply entrenched in me. <laughs> so funny, but also that's positive for people who are hearing this, who are like, yeah, it, this is a pattern of mine as well. This is something that I can definitely work through. So that's, that's why I wanted to kind of dig there a bit in case people resonate with that piece. It's interesting because also for me, I have started to see some really big patterns in terms of my relationships as well. And and one of those being seeing my parents and how they, they functioned when they were together, you know, when I've, now that I've been able to really sit and look back on my childhood and just see the dynamics in their relationship, you know, um, my dad worked a lot and he wasn't always emotionally present or available. And my mom was, you know, from what I remember, very overwhelmed with motherhood and, and, you know, she has three crazy daughters. I know my sisters listen to this, so they'll like that piece. Uh, but we are, we are big personalities, the three of us, you know, (laughs) to put it lightly. And, um, and, and I just remember kind of, you know, nothing was ever said to me, but I, I remember picking up on the energy of like, my mom had a lot going on and my dad wasn't always there. He, traveled a lot with work and I just remember feeling that energy of my mom just just feeling overwhelmed and 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 again this is me explaining my own experience and creating having created my own meaning right is that what I felt was going on was maybe some resent that was that was there in terms of maybe my mom not feeling supported enough and and my dad was doing the best he could with his work and and traveling a lot, but there was a lot of disconnect with them and she needed something and maybe he couldn't give it. Mm. And I began to see, as I've looked back on my relationships and on the men that I've dated and, and in my marriage as well, is that I have typically dated people or, or entered into relationships where I'll be with somebody that can't always be present that can't always be emotionally available, that can't always give me the things that I want on a deeper level. But when push comes to shove, I actually don't fully open myself up to. This has been really interesting. It's like, I want, I've, I've always wanted this deeper connection in relationships, but I put a really big boundary there. It's like, I don't, and this is men and women not just in my romantic relationships, but in my platonic relationships as well. And I'm sure my sisters could probably say this and and friends that I've had forever. There's always a bit of a distance there. I don't quite let people in. Right. It's, it's this 
this boundary that I put there. And as I've really began to dig into this, this has been so interesting. This has allowed me to feel control because when I can keep people at a distance, when I can keep people over there, I can feel a bit more in control, potentially not getting rejected, potentially not feeling disappointed, potentially not feeling hurt and pain. You know, it's so interesting to want something so badly, that deeper connection, but then the familiarity of creating that distance because that's, there's certainty there. And that certainty equals safety for me, even though it's not what I want. And you and I have talked a little bit. I've really been digging into this really big fear I have of getting to the end of my life and being alone. I can see that in order for that not to happen, I'm going to have to really continue to open myself up and put myself out there. And that is, excuse my language, fucking scary. I have so many questions. Oh God. <laughs> Cringe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies, there. let's I, lay it on thick for her. Yeah, I went uh, my, my first question is, so obviously creating that distance, having that wall, not allowing everyone to fully see you. Is that because of the relationship dynamic you saw between your parents that it seems like that was something your mom so desperately wanted with your dad? And instead of him meeting her there, she was disappointed. Is that the fear? Is that if you are to open yourself, that you will also suffer the same disappointment, heartbreak, rejection that she felt? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's probably one piece of it, you know, and when I, when I think about this question and, and again, just like sitting in it in real time, it's that I don't think I've ever been seen fully by anyone in my life, except maybe you, like you, you have seen some pieces of me and, and perhaps my sisters as well. But I think it's, it's that fear of, if I do allow somebody to fully see me, what if I'm rejected? What if that connection is broken? Right. And so if I can keep people at a specific place at a distance, I have control over what they see and what they experience. And that feels safer. And I'd actually counter that with, I think you have control over what you experience. Mm, right. I know. I know. <laughs> hundred percent. Yeah. If there's anything we've learned, it's that that's all we really have control over. This is. And so what I'm explaining here is for anyone listening, it's kind of like the, the dialogue between my higher self of like Mm -hmm. knowing that really the only thing I have control over is within me, is me and my experience and everything within me. And then the dialogue between my higher self and my little self, that little Christina in me who seeks that external control to feel safer based on all the things that she's been through. Right. And it's become that slow integration of the two, right. Through my inner child healing, through all of that beautiful Mm -hmm. stuff. That, that dialogue piece you're speaking of is a, is a true indication of progress Mm. because I know in even changing some of my own patterns, you would ask, is it something that I consciously think of as it's happening? And 
And that is exactly it. It becomes this internal discussion with yourself. Okay. I see myself beginning to repeat or go into maybe it's yelling or whatever it is. And you can begin. And sometimes you don't win. Sometimes your higher self doesn't win, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's almost like, as opposed to flipping between being that little child inside you and this more wiser version, authentic version of you, you begin to actually hear both of them at the same time. It's almost like weighing out pros and cons as you begin to create balance and then mesh the two of them together. That's really where, you know, you start to break those, those patterns begin to open yourself in, in your circumstance, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of work. And it doesn't stop. Like that's the other piece I'm learning is that I have been doing this now for three years. I've been coaching now for, for over a year and a half. If there's one thing I know is that this stuff doesn't stop. We don't get to this point of like, I'm healed. I'm good. Full Mm -hmm. integration. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Like, Like, no, the, the, the goal. And again, this is my experience and what I believe is that it is always continually happening. The integration is always continuing to happen, you Mm -hmm. know, and that's the goal, you know, is, is this integration of, like you said, that inner child and that higher self, the ego and the soul, however you want to look at it, it's integration that we never get to a place. It's just, we're always walking the road. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. I wanted to end off with like one other pattern just in Mm -hmm. case we haven't covered something that has resonated with some of our listeners. But in terms of like conflict and actually even closeness is, as you just mentioned, there is something that I've really been growing through and, and healing through as of late is understanding that when I was growing up, like there was very little space to process my emotions with an adult. I was either left alone to cry or told, you know, it's okay, stop crying, don't be upset, blah, 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 wipe it off, et cetera, type of language. And so as an adult, when I'm triggered or I'm in conflict, I actually don't know how to process my emotions with others. I need to fully retreat, sift through everything on my own. And this is really uncomfortable for some people because to them, it means I've walked away the conflict will continue on. I don't want to resolve it. And, you know, recently I've had to tell, like even my husband, actually, this is why I do that. It's not because like, I actually hate conflict. I hate controversy, that icky feeling. I want to resolve it probably more than they do, but I actually don't know how to feel everything I'm feeling and have dialogue. Like I need to fully go and process, you know, some people need to walk away. I have the exact same pattern crop up um, just due to sort of how I was brought up. And I've realized that I need to assure the other person in that conflict dynamic. This is why I have to do this. And you're going to need to give me some space. And then I will come back at such and such a time. The other piece I wanted to mention that you've brought up talking about isolation or putting this wall up. I've noticed even in, in especially in intimate relationships, as opposed to platonic, I have a very hard time letting those people get very close to me. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting because you had mentioned, you know, maybe I've seen the full you and your sisters, right. And although like your sisters are your family, but again, there's something different about intimate relationships. It's almost Mm -hmm. like in friendships, we can be more open and vulnerable because 
it's almost like we have less to lose. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like our lives aren't like they're enmeshed, but not in a. There's less at stake, maybe. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. I think. And so it's very interesting. Sometimes I looking back at my intimate relationships, I notice there's this pattern where when that person begins to start having really deep conversations with me or, you know, physically wants to like give me a hug, like I get this, this immense feeling it rises like into my chest and I'm I tense up like I'm I'm fearful of continuing the conversation embracing the hug whatever it is and I've really just started digging into this now and I with my first and predominant intimate relationship being my mother right someone who literally almost acts like a partner does for you in your early stages of life if I got close to her it meant like physical harm mm. to my body and possibly emotional state most of the time both and I realize although I haven't necessarily re-experienced that with these, you know, adult intimate relationships. It's this subconscious like neural programming that goes into just for a split second. Like I do embrace the hug and I do, but I feel me wanting to pull back just like you were describing. I want to put the wall up because I think in my brain, it means, well, like you better get ready. Like a slap's coming, a uh, verbal insults, like, you know what I mean? And so it's just really interesting. Like the I fight think. or flight. Exactly. It's a, it's a, it's a nervous system, like response to yes. what's about to happen because in a friendship, typically you don't, you don't get into that. Like there's very few friends who like are verbally having big altercations or fights. Right. Whereas you do see that in intimate partnership. And I would say also with friends too, you're not also I mean, some maybe are, but I would say my friends, I'm not physically intimate with my friends, <laughs> right? So maybe there's that piece as well. Yes, it's like I the think body. Exactly. exactly. Like you're giving a hug, but you know, even sometimes when, you know, friends that are huggers, mm. it's like awkward silences for me too. All of a sudden <laughs> it comes this, okay, it's been 10 seconds of hugging and I need to pull away now. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to hug you way longer now. <laughs> you do hug me longer. <laughs> And I literally, like I've started just again, just for people wanting to, (laughs) yes, but wanting to notice their patterns, I would say one of the best ways to do it is tap into how you're feeling in any circumstance, because I bet you there's a pattern to that feeling because it's not just hugging deep conversations, hugging physical intimacy, all these things trigger the same feeling, the same response to me. So then I can group them together. Okay. Why is this creating a pattern of this same? Literally, it feels like a physical response in my body and I can trail it back now to why. And so then, you know, we were talking about, okay, how are, how am I reprogramming this? Like, how am I fixing this? It's for me, it's been, I can't control that feeling until I think a lot more healing has transpired, but I now recognize it. And in that moment, that little child and higher self, I literally in that moment, someone could be hugging me and I'm like, you're safe. Like this is, this is a healthy relationship, but you know, and again, I think it just takes a healthy pattern of repeating those things, seeing that nothing bad happened to begin changing that sort of fight or flight response to not activate every time that happens. Yeah. And you're reminding me of this video that I saw. This is why I love TikTok so much. Uh, (laughs) This video I saw of this woman, she did a really beautiful job of, so she was showing herself supporting her daughter while her daughter was having a tantrum. And she did this interesting voiceover of like what this sounded like in her head of her higher self talking to her inner child. It's okay. Blank, like her daughter's name is getting upset. 
you can still feel calm. You are okay. You are safe. And then you can see her also passing this on to her daughter in real time. It was really cool. And then you were able to see what that dialogue can look like because that's mm-hmm. exactly it is, is I think maybe what a goal here is, and we don't, we can't expect ourselves to do this all the time, but it is, you know, can you support yourself in real time when these things are occurring and be allow that space for the higher self and the inner child to be there together and really support yourself with whatever it is that you're experiencing. Yeah. That's, that's, that's gold. It's it's hard to do, but when you can, woo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think sometimes it, it takes maybe in the beginning, you actually retreating, you know, mm. maybe it's yes. in a mom moment or a dad moment, you have to go and have that conversation with you locked in the bathroom for like oh, 30 seconds. Yes. But eventually as you build that muscle, as you integrate those two pieces, those, that conversation piece, you can do it live in the moment of the trigger or the pattern arising. That's the ultimate goal, right? You're never going to just be fully healed where nothing ever triggers you or nothing ever elicits that response, but we wouldn't be human if that was the case. You know, sometimes I have wishes. (laughs) (laughs) Eckhart Tolle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, But literally I went into the bathroom the other day and and I was feeling very overstimulated. There was lots going on. It doesn't help when the kids, when the TV's on or maybe the iPad's on and there's music on and just like too much for my ADHD brain. (laughs) I went into the washroom and I put my hands on my chest and I just said to myself over and over, I'm safe. I'm okay. I'm calming my energy. And I just said that to myself over and over and over. And I mean, sure, we can't do this all the time, but in that moment it helped. And I gave myself what I needed. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be as simple as that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I love that. So, uh, something else I wanted to talk about today, you know, me, I like to do lots of research on the topics that were, I, you know, it's funny is I took a lot of psychology in university, but I was like, oh, you can't really do anything with that degree. (laughs) I need to be successful in life. So we're not going to major in that, <laughs> which is but, funny because then when we met, like, yeah, I was doing the coaching or whatever, but I was also teaching psychology in high school. So that's okay. really funny. <laughs> I just fulfilled my wish, but just through you. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I do find this stuff fascinating though, about oh, how the brain it. works and, um, you know, especially with now my more in-depth understanding of spirituality. And so today when we're talking about patterns, Freud, who I'm sure lots of people know, but he had a psychological theory and it really complements this understanding of spirituality and that where these souls here are who are meant to expand and grow. And that's really what, why you get tested and why you get triggered and why you experience a lot of different things, including trauma in your life. You know, in psychology, like I, I swear that my place is, is this belonging of floating in between science and psychology and spirituality. Mm-hmm. It's like where my brain and my soul are peacefully enmeshed together. <laughs> yes. Sigmund Freud basically took behavior patterns and he went a little bit deeper. His theory is called repetition compulsion. So he famously defined this as the desire to return to an earlier state of things. Mm. And so this return to this earlier state is really an attempt to recreate history so that we can change the original outcome. Mm. So in other words, we want to become masters over our situation or experience typically things that we didn't get to control as a child. Mm -hmm. Okay. So think about people who are abused as kids. You hear this all the time. They enter into abusive relationships as adults. Why the heck would they do that? 
they want to be in control over the situation or think that they can change the person's behavior, unlike how they could when they were children. Think of someone who grew up with distant parents, maybe a distant relationship with their father. You may find yourself drawn to distant partners as an adult. So we seek out these relationships and these situations as a means to recreate this dynamic and change the outcome thing or the same sort of tone can be thought about in spirituality where we keep reliving the same pattern until we've learned the lesson or until we've healed the wound. And so it's just very interesting that these two somewhat polar worlds, it's really that found those foundational things are the same. Yeah. It's these deeper truths. And I, this is what I love so much about the more you dive into some of this stuff and, and acquire the knowledge and learn about all of it is that there are these fundamental truths or these threads interwoven between all of these different things you know and this piece that you say around redeeming our past self mastering our experience this really aligns with what I learned a long time ago that I'll never forget is is the idea of recreating the patterns to heal ourselves Mm. you know like I talk to a lot of people about patterns I find it so fascinating it's like one of the most interesting things to me that we do these things for a very specific reason. And you could go into the whole soul aspect of this as well. We have our soul journeys. We have very specific karmic lessons. We're here to learn in very specific soul contracts with different souls. And we do it in a sense, we call these people into our lives. We create these relationships, albeit sometimes very uncomfortable and very painful. And there's a lot of suffering in them, but on a deeper subconscious level, or if you want to think spiritual on a deeper soul level, it's really to heal these Mm -hmm. pieces and become the most integrated version of ourselves. Yeah. I think that's really interesting because you have friends, family that they play sort of that victimhood, victim mentality. Why do all these things keep happening to me? Why do I always find the guys who manipulate me? Why do I always, you know, and you can see they're in a vicious pattern, a cyclic repeat of something. Yeah. We either become victims of it or we see it as an opportunity because it's not happening to you. You in, whether it's a subconscious level or not, are recreating it, whether it's Mm. the behavior you're exuding, the people you're allowing to enter your life. And I'm not saying that, you know, anyone welcomes abuse into their life. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that if you can become aware of it, it also means you hold the key to changing it and healing it. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. I was having a conversation with um, my sister, Emily, about this, this morning is that this is really what it's about you know, you and I, we're not saying that what happens to people, abuse and and different things like that, that's not okay. We're not, we're not saying that that's okay. But in every opportunity in these relationships that we have, in these patterns that we create in our lives, in these painful situations we experience, there is always the opportunity to go inwards and see how could this be here for me? Mm. what might I be able to learn from this? How could this be an opportunity for me to grow and expand, you know, and, and in that process, we take our power back, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's really what it's about. And I think when we are in that victim mentality, it's, we, we feel powerless. And so it's really about shifting that energy and bringing it back in and, and 
reclaiming that power. Yes. And I think for anyone listening, if you're wondering like, well, why can't I seem to do that? Why can't I take a unpleasurable circumstance and see the good in it, see the opportunity? What's the growth avenue? You know, again, thinking about this theory that we just talked about where you're trying to master the original trauma or unpleasurable circumstance or heal through it. We, again, what is known is so familiar and so secure. And we would rather stay in that box most of the time Mm -hmm. than go to something that basically is almost intolerable anxiety, which is a space of unfamiliarity. Yeah. Right. Some podcasters that I listen to they call it sort of the, the, the edge of growth. Like, can you push yourself just a little bit every time? What could that other approach be like? Mm. Right. But we would rather sometimes, and I'm guilty of it. You're guilty of it. Sit in this thing that doesn't actually feel good, but it's familiar. So we'd rather stay there. And so I would encourage anyone listening, if you're seeing some patterns and you're just feeling yourself very resistant to opening as to like, how could I be responsible for a portion of this? How could I act differently? What could I dig into that I've maybe kept closed for years and years, maybe my whole life? Mm -hmm. See if you can inch yourself towards that edge. Yeah. Because I think you'd be surprised how you'd feel if you jumped out of that box that feels so safe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you and I were talking about this edge. I love, I love this idea of the edge. You and I were Mm -hmm. talking about it this morning and I can honestly say being sort of in the sticky, the stickiness of this pattern I'm kind of moving through right now and just understanding it a little bit better. What I would just to add to what you were saying there is, is start to compile evidence of how the pattern is showing up in your life, like gathering data in a sense, then figuring out what is the purpose behind it? Like, why am I recreating this? What is it bringing me? What is it giving me? And what do I really want? Mm -hmm. And then ground into that want piece. That's how you start to make the new decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other piece I want to add that you and I talk about is the unlearning. This takes time. Have compassion with yourself, which is really hard to do. But I mean, you and I can speak for this. We've done these things our whole lives. And so it's like, we can't expect ourselves just to all of a sudden stop doing it. It's so true. And healing is not linear. Although all of our Mm. logic brain thinkers would love it to be like, look at you. I mean, it's just funny how you're like, you know, I have a hard time fully opening myself, but literally you are so skilled and your job is connection with people. Yeah. But yet you have a hard time releasing that pattern with yourself in your own yeah. intimate relationships, right? Like what alert, like, again, I think for anyone listening, we are not perfect. Like what you said earlier, it just never stops, but you learn how to navigate it so fast. I'm sometimes in awe of you triggered. You're like, yeah. So I've just dug into it. It's been 10 minutes since I've discovered it. Here's the root. Here's the problem. Here's how I'm going to fix it. I'm like, wow. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, but let's not <laughs> fool anyone. Sometimes I call you and I'm like, oh. <laughs> you're eager to want to yes. heal it, right? And that's yeah. the cool part. Oh yeah, I love this shit. Like I just this this stuff, and I think that's what it is too. It's just it's just I I find it really really interesting, and I love digging into all of this. But but yeah, we're human. We're human. So give yourself a break. Have some compassion for yourself, and just take it day by day because that's really what it's all about here. 
For anyone wanting a few more tools or resources just on, well, how do I become aware of that? Like, how do I dig into the root? You know, it can be really hard. I remember having to use coaching before because I'd only get to a certain sort of level below, but you need mm-hmm. to sometimes go a lot deeper than that. And sometimes you do need that professional help, whether it's from a counselor, a coach, therapist, a good friend to, you know, bounce ideas off of soundboard. But again, that requires you to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say like, explore your patterns, explore your experience, talk to a friend, talk to your partner, kind of ask them their opinion. Christina and I do this daily (laughs) voice notes. So what do you think about this? Give me your thoughts on this. Here's what I'm thinking, you know, because sometimes it takes a third party, someone who's unbiased in a way to call each other out on maybe what you're not seeing, you know, and also cognitive behavioral therapy, which is really just like reprogramming your neural pathways. You can look up a lot on that. There's lots of professionals who do it. You can also do it through guided meditation. What I had said, going back to those previous experiences that maybe were traumatic for you and almost replaying them in your mind with a different outcome. So you don't feel like you need to recreate them now in your adulthood to heal through them. Yeah. Yeah. And I always say it's about creating new meaning, right? Because when we create new meaning, we take a new path. Exactly. And that's how we change the pattern, you know? And I Um, think just like being mindful, like you had said, and and you can look at your patterns, look at how you're showing up in meditation, in breath work. I don't think if you're inexperienced with those, you can just like sit down and all of a sudden, all of these memories are going to float to the surface. It really does you know, you're so used to driving in this like do, do, do surface level, you know, you're taking all this information mentality most of the time in our day-to-day lives that you got to get your mind in the right spot for these things to actually come up. So I'd encourage anyone, if you haven't ever tried meditation or breath work, there's so many things out there on all the listening platforms that are free for you to use, try one. Yeah. I think you'd be quite surprised. And write things down. I would say that has been the number one piece for me too, is you're gathering data. You're trying to build your awareness. You're trying to understand yourself better. You can't do this all in your head. And I know some people have an aversion to, to writing and journaling, but you really got to get it somewhere so that you can also reflect on it as well. Yeah, for sure. Ooh, I think this was maybe my favorite topic to talk about. I could just <laughs> talk about this stuff for hours. It's I feel very vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> yep. What else is new? I feel like I, I feel raw every time we finish one of these episodes. So y'all better leave a written review. Okay. <laughs> yes. Please leave a written review. If you feel so compelled to do so, we really, really would appreciate that. And if you are looking to connect more with Tess or I, you can find Tess on social media on Instagram and TikTok at her unearthed. And you can find Christina on social media, on Instagram or TikTok at Christina.SoulEmpowered. We thank you guys so much for listening. We love you so much. Thanks, and we hope guys. you have a great day. Bye. Bye.